Grace to you and peace from God our Heavenly Father and from our Lord and Savior, the, the best present we could ever receive on Christmas, fellow redeemed. Our sermon text tonight are words from the first letter of St. John in chapter 4, beginning at verse 7. And I would invite the congregation to rise for the reading of this sermon text. John writes, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, uh, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. So far, the sermon text. Let us pray. These are your words, Heavenly Father. And tonight, on this joyous Christmas Eve, we pray that by these words you would set us apart for yourself by the work of your Son, who is your love made manifest among us. Sanctify us by the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. You may be seated. Fellow redeemed in Christ, would, uh, wouldn't it be nice if someone put something valuable in your hand? Maybe a, an ounce of silver, that might be nice. $22.58 yesterday. What about an ounce of gold? Wouldn't that be nice? That was almost $1,800 yesterday. Oh, here's one I really like. How about an ounce of rhodium? That's kind of a little more exotic, but $11,700 an ounce. Wouldn't that be nice to have in your hand? But you can go even more exotic. An ounce of californium, $840 million. Now, that's, that's a lot of money. It's amazing to me how valuable some of these materials are, but could we ever begin to compare them, compare the value of lumps of metal with that of a person? Can we even entertain that thought? Sadly, many young couples have found themselves weighing the cost of a child against the cost of a comfortable life. Divorce courts are filled with the talk of the cost of children. Some have built businesses upon the value of the unborn. The coyotes down at the border are running people and predators are stealing daughters from Walmart parking lots and unscrupulous profiteers 
are reducing people to greenbacks and mouse clicks. Politics, reducing people to votes. Children re reducing their parents to the objects of their manipulation. The sexually immoral, reducing others to the objects of their lust. Churches, thinking of people just as numbers to be increased. Look into your hearts tonight. See that with, within you, within all of us, is an evil nature that can easily look upon a neighbor as just a statistic, a piece of meat, a lump of metal, maybe an ally if you're in a fight. What a sad, loveless world filled with cold hearts and darkened minds that we can think this way at times. The Apostle Paul wrote, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Who is it that does not love? Does he mean that there are those who are so evil, so bad, that they, they never love another soul? Or does he instead mean to have us think about what love really is because we don't fully grasp it. John attaches love to who God is, to his identity. We fall short of truly loving because we fall short of God's perfect love every time. John wants us to realize that no one can truly know what love is without knowing the Lord, because the Lord is love. God is love. To know him is to know love. All the best kind-heartedness and friendship and peace that we can gin up at this time of year, in comparison to the love that John is talking about and pointing us toward tonight, us toward tonight, it's nothing. And where is such love, the love of the Father, shown more clearly to us than in God's only begotten Son lying in the manger? John writes, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. You came here tonight to draw near to the manger of Bethlehem and see and in holy writ the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, who is Christ the Lord, to hear the holy angels that night sing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. You came to hear the love of God and remember how God's love was made manifest when God the Son entered into his creation and took upon himself 
our humanity, became one of us because of his great love for us, his inexplicable love, his undeserved love. God sent his own son from the bright courts of heaven, first to that hidden quiet of the virgin's womb, and then in nine months to the straw and the splinters of Bethlehem's manger. Luke recorded the circumstances in great detail as our, our Sunday school recalled for us tonight. And they did such a great job. We recall those details for the very reason that Luke recorded these things. They are history. This really happened. It's not some myth. It's not some thing that somebody dreamed up somewhere along the line to make us feel better. This happened while Quirinius was governor of Syria, for example. Jesus' birth really happened, and it wasn't a fluke. The birth of Jesus in Bethlehem was no fluke. God inspired his prophet Micah some 750 years before Christ was born to write these words. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. He's talking about the Christ child. And Micah also wrote about this ruler, this man shall be the peace, the peace between God and mankind. The birth of Jesus to the Virgin Mary was no fluke. God inspired his prophet Isaiah to tell King Ahaz, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Mary's lineage was no fluke. The prophet Jeremiah records, In those days Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteous Savior. For this is what the Lord says, David will never fail to have a man to sit on the throne of Israel. Here, tonight, Rejoice with those people of the Old Testament, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And Rejoice that this self-same Christ child is the one who saved us from our sin from our cold-heartedness, from our lack of love. In this is love, John writes. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. God loved us, even though we didn't deserve it, even though we can't love like he loves. He loved us and sent his Son this is the fullest expression of God's love, his undeserved love for us sinners. Because he sent Jesus to be the propitiation 
for our sins. Now, we don't use that word much anymore, a propitiation. But it means that Jesus is the reason for God's attitude of grace toward us. Apart from Jesus' life and his death for us, God's wrath over our sin would condemn us. But before time even began, in the counsel of the only true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit decided that the Son would do this for God's fallen human creatures. When God looks upon Jesus, he sees the reason to love us, the reason for all of history, the reason for that night in Bethlehem, the reason for the angelic choir to bring that message, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. God looks upon Jesus even in the manger, and already he sees all the sins of mankind laid upon him. And on Calvary, all the sin of mankind was duly condemned to everlasting hellfire, so that when God looks at us, he sees the Holy One of Israel, the perfect one, the ever-living one, and he declares us righteous in his sight on account of Jesus. In holy baptism, God recognizes us as his own dear children, and he places his name upon us so that we are called by the name Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so that we are part of God's family. This is the work of that babe in swaddling cloth, who is Christ the Lord, who already then is bound for the cross, for the tomb, for Easter morning and his ascension to rule over all things as the right-hand man of God. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. And John would add to that reason, too. He would add that the world does not know love because it does not know God. Love is from God, not just so that I can know, so that I can be saved, so that you can be saved from our sins. Love is from God also so that we might share it with others, with the world. Think on what John is saying. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his, perfect, his love is perfected in us. So why does he add no one has ever seen God to that sentence? Maybe you never stop to think about that, even if you know the passage. He added it to show us that when people glimpse the real love of God at work in us, saving us from our sins. They might glimpse the only true God by faith, just as we see him by faith. Because God's love creates that faith in our hearts through his word and through his sacraments. Mary and Joseph and those shepherds and their relatives, and eventually Simeon and Anna in the temple, and the wise men, and all the rest who saw him with their eyes, were blessed in no small way to see face to face the God who is love. 
And the disciples were blessed to see the fulfillment of all of that love on Good Friday and Easter. And the Lord even bid Thomas to put his finger into his wounds as physical evidence that he died and rose again from the dead for us. How blessed those early Christians were. But remember what Jesus said to Thomas. Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You and I are truly blessed. In the spirit of this statement that Jesus made, we have not seen the babe in the manger, but we see him by faith. Because God's word has made it clear to us and certain to us. We were not there to see him growing up in wisdom and stature among men, but we see the Son of Man nonetheless maturing as a real human being into the Lamb of God for sinners slain. And we rejoice because we know the God who is love. And we love because he first loved us. Remember this as you, as you go to your family gatherings and make the rounds of phone calls to your far-flung relatives and friends. Remember this as you greet your neighbors this time of year. Show them the love of God that abides in you so that they see the Lord. This is how the love of God is perfected. In other words, made complete among us and in us and through us as he works to bring the gospel into their hearts by the true spirit of Christmas joy. And remember, we don't do this to up the count. We love them. We look at the world and truly wish what is best for them and work toward that goal with them, sacrificing for them, showing them the patient love of our God for our sakes and for theirs. Love is from God for you and for them. May the word of God that we hear during these blessed days of Christmas show us the true God so that we know true love, so that we share it. And may we always be ready to share that love so that others will know him too. Glory to God in the highest. Peace, goodwill toward you all. Amen. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all.